Hello and welcome to the Veer Vulnerability Sphere podcast. I'm Adam Glinsky. And I'm Albert Imperato. Where we help men communicate and build empathy. Season two of the Veer Vulnerabilis Veer podcast is sponsored by our good friends at Standard and Strange, where the clothes and the people are anything but ordinary, and the motto is own fewer, better things. All right, we got another one here. I'm really excited about this one here today, Albert. Uh, we're all kind of uh, hanging out on the same same uh, side of the world here, and uh, I'm excited to see what's uh, behind uh, Michael here. He's got a beautiful landscape, but... Uh, how are you doing, man? Like, how's how's it been there? It's been a, a couple weeks since we've talked, and I want to see how you're doing. We're in we're in autumn mode. It's it's a great time of year in the Hudson Valley. It's beautiful. Our uh, guest today has recently relocated here, so that that'll be a, a talking point we're going to want to go over. Um, yeah, I mean, it's uh, like the 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 uh, the reality show we've all been living is reaching the final season, and uh, it's going to be. A shit show over the next month and like let's hope we all survive it on the other end uh regardless of your political affiliation there's a lot of shit going on and people are kind of losing their mind but yeah. that's why this show is here we're going to try to talk talk some people down <laughs> off the ledge relax we're all here for each other we can let, let's have some harmony a little less conflict let's be positive that's what i've been thinking over and over again like i when i see the political system right now i'm like why don't you just for once sit in a room and say, why don't we actually work together to solve a problem? Like, could you imagine, like, like, if you were like a kid watching your parents behave the way these guys are behaving, the kid would be like, you guys have no credibility. You know, they, the, the kid would be like, I, I want my own life. I don't even want to be your kid anymore with this behavior. But we have to suffer through this bullshit. So anyway, no, we don't, we don't have to go into all this on a beautiful <laughs> Friday. Sunday afternoon. But that's where, that's where my head is at. I'm, I'm hey, kinda, I mean, there's, there's I'm kind of twisted up here with a, a lot of frustration with what I'm witnessing right now. Yeah, I got real hurt over the Breonna Taylor um, case on there. I mean, that was really tough for me to handle. And while you've been saying, uh, let's be positive, I've been saying... I can endure this pain. That's been my uh, my theme here. So um, we're kind of on the same page, but on different sides of it. <laughs> yeah, I have. I do a lot of work with with people in Louisville, so I'm I'm getting literally fr- friends. I'm I work with the the orchestra there, and the music director of the orchestra has taken to giving like therapy sessions on Facebook Live for citizens of Louisville just to reduce the stress because they're they're so completely stressed out. So it's, you know, this is real. This is, this is like real serious stuff that needs to be addressed. So anyway, I could, I could definitely feel your pain on that one. <laughs> definitely, man. But um, let's talk about uh, our guest here today, Michael. Um, how did you meet him? Cause you know, another one you just pulled out of your hat and uh, you know, I got this amazing person sitting in front of me doing all these awesome things. And uh, well, you know, <laughs> we, we said we wanted season two to be like the next level. And I've yeah. been kind of just like, trying to reach out to to a variety of people and actually michael liked one of my photos uh, like about a year ago and always you know you know people like my photos i check it out i'm like oh i wonder who liked my photo so he liked one of my photos and i was like mm-hmm. holy shit like this dude has got his shit together like why is he like my photo i had a little <laughs> bit of that you know classic moment of why did this cool person actually want to want to in uh stop at my feed and he actually wrote back and said um, that he liked, you know, the heritage style. And he himself had some good heritage stuff and he should showcase it more in his feed, blah, blah, blah. He's a very impressive dude. I knew uh, recently that he had moved to, to the, uh, the Hudson Valley. So I thought we'd have some 
some stuff in common. And uh, the more I, we had our little pre-interview and uh, plus I knew you, you guys would get along too. Oh, definitely. Um, I, I'm really excited to have it on. I'm going to go here and uh, read the official bio and we'll go ahead and uh, invite him on. Michael Turnow is a restaurateur, TV host, fitness personality, and family man. Michael is dedicated to inspiring the world through positivity, hospitality, and service. Health and fitness continue to be a large part of Michael's life, from training Muay Thai to running marathons to bodybuilding. By doing this, he has learned discipline, the acceptance of failure, and the importance of patience and positivity. Alongside the Meatball Shop, Seymour's, and Wellwell, Michael now hosts the Born or Made podcast, which asks the deep question, are people born with the skill that shaped their lives or were they made over time? Michael, it is a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you for coming through. How are you today? I'm doing so well. Um, you know, given given all the circumstances uh, that we're dealing with as a as a as a race of humans, um, you know, it is. Uh, I'm 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 doing well. I'm, I'm not I'm not complaining. I've I've made a lot of changes as we all have over the last six seven months, and uh, life is starting to take shape in a new way that I'm acclimating to and I'm, I'm not mad at. So I'm, I'm well, man, I'm, I'm up in the country and breathing fresh air every day and, uh, you know, trying to do my part. Yeah, that sounds great, man. I mean, it looks beautiful behind you. We were uh, briefly chatting about that, but um, I, did you originally live in the city and then kind of uh, moved upstate or how did your kind of transition and moving go? Yeah, I'm a born and raised New York City guy. So I was born and raised in Manhattan. Um, I've lived in New York City my whole life uh, outside of a few little stints to try to live in Los Angeles chasing that sun. <laughs> um, but I've always I've always can't come back to New York, uh, you know, missing it too much. And I, I never thought that, you know, my wife and I, we bought a house um, about two hours out of the city, north of the city. Uh, about seven years ago and we love it up here but I just I didn't anticipate moving up here full-time anytime soon because of business and the lifestyle that I, I I lead as an entrepreneur however as COVID set in and timing for me sort of worked out with the sale of my last business or the, the majority of my equity was I sold to my partner in my last business gave me an opportunity to uh, really move, make a move. And we took it, we took the opportunity to get out of the city with our kids and we packed up our shit, rented our place in Brooklyn <laughs> and moved into our house upstate. Um, and that's, that's sort of how I, how I ended up here. And that's all within this year that all happened? That, so we moved up here in March, right, yeah. right when things really started to get hairy down in the city, in New York City, we decided that the best place for our family was up at our house um so you know with a lot more outdoor space and um you know the kids just didn't understand that my have a five-year-old son and a three-year-old son they really didn't understand not being able to touch anything uh not being able to walk outside without a mask and you know because we have a property upstate that's pretty big you know we have a lot of woodlands and we decided that you know let's let's see what happens let's let's pack up a couple of bags and come upstate and then we did that and then as things continued to get worse and worse in New York um, we 
lived with what we brought. And then um, in uh, July, we went back down to the city and packed up a lot more stuff and decided to make the move for at least a year. You had told me that sounds uh, so much like Albert. Yeah, yeah it's true. We, we, we're calling it the, the world's longest long weekend. We came up for a long weekend and stayed for six <laughs> months. Uh, Michael, you said when we had our little pre-chat that, that you were very close to finishing a deal on a new restaurant, very uh, close to when the whole COVID thing started happening. And I'm just wondering, what did that feel like to you to, to not, for that to not move forward? Did you feel like there was some sort of element of fate going on there that you were not meant to sign on the dotted line and get going? Because that would have been a, a dramatic change in your fortunes, right? Had you started a new business, right? An, another new restaurant just as, as COVID hit the scene. It's a great question. You know, I've, I, I, so I've been, I've been very lucky in my career. Um, I'm a very committed, structured person. Uh, when I say something out loud, meaning I take an idea from in between my ears and actually say it to the, to the, the universe, I do it. I, you know, I just do. And so when I said that I was going to launch this new restaurant, um, you know, and I'd been working on it for about a year, building the brand and the team and the menu and the design and the investors. And um, when COVID hit, I just knew as soon as it started to make waves in the news, I just knew that the restaurant business was going to see an all-time unprecedented hit. And very quickly after I saw that happening, I started getting emails from the investors that I had had on board. Um, and they said, we love you, Mikey, but this isn't going to happen right now. And I said, I totally understand. So it was a real... It was a shock to the system because I'm not one to pull the plug on something ever. And by the way, I'm actually launching that business just in a different way. That's what I've been working on um, now. But yeah, it was a real, it was really difficult. Um, but I also think that it was a blessing in disguise because I have really done a bunch of soul searching and deep diving into what makes me tick as a not only as a business person but as a human and i love being a father and i love being a husband and i love making dinner for my family and i love having breakfast with my family and uh i had to really weigh out how much that meant to me because when you open up a restaurant and i've opened up 16 restaurants in my career Breakfast with the family and dinner with the family isn't an option for for a long time uh, after you open up a restaurant because I'm typically at the restaurant till the very, very late hours of night or wee hours of the morning. And um, when I wake up, I still wake up early in the morning, even when I'm doing that, I'm just not in the, I'm like still you know, um, there's a lot of stress and anxiety that comes with operating restaurants. And so I, so I asked myself the question, you know, Michael, is this an opportunity for you to take all you've learned in the world of service and hospitality and pivot into a business that could potentially generate as much, if not more revenue, but also give you an opportunity 
to be a family man, which is something that you hold very close to your heart. And so I've taken that risk and taken that chance of, of, of changing my career uh, from being a restaurant operator, uh, at least temporarily, at least for the foreseeable future right now, and really going all in on creating a, a business in digital wellness and consumer packaged goods and direct to consumer. So I think it was a blessing in disguise that that it all happened for me, um, that I didn't sign the lease in Williamsburg, that my investors came and, you know, and said, hey, like, we have to push pause. All that stuff was very, it was really stressful, obviously, as it was happening. But the 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 byproduct of it happening has led me down this new road, this new path that I'm really, really excited well, about. Well, you said what, what you're... Uh wanting to focus on right now, which is all just so beautiful, focusing on family. I mean, you know, that really, you, you, no one is ever going to dispute that that's a good choice to focus on your family. So kudos, kudos on that one and good for you to say it. What I want to get uh, uh, back, uh, go back a little bit though. You mentioned 16 restaurants. You mentioned your penchant for making up, uh, pulling an idea out from your, your mind and willing it into existence. Where did your drive come from? Tell us a little bit about being a, a young Michael. Where did you, is this like dad is driven? Are, all the, are, are your siblings driven? Is the whole family driven? Are you the, the odd man out? Like just without going too deep into, you know, back in the kindergarten, could you give us just a little snapshot of where this kind of driven person came from? If, I, if you don't mind me using the word. Sure. Yeah. Um, you know, I, well, I have a podcast that's called born or made that talks exactly about this particular question. Um, whether people are, are, are born or, or born with an inherent slash innate ability to, to sort of get after it in a real way and, and create an amazing life and success, or if they were made over time through grind, grit and hustle. Um, I, I believe I was born, um, with, uh, an entrepreneurial, drive and and spirit as early as i can remember you know when i was a kid five six years old if there were any toys that i was like you know over or didn't want to play with anymore i would ask my older sister to walk downstairs with me i would put a blanket out in front of my apartment building and i would tr try to sell my toys for a dollar a piece i remember doing that often there was a comic book store, you know, around the corner from my apartment growing up called Alex's MVP. And they used to have this grab bag where you pay like three, three bucks or five bucks. And it was a manila yellow envelope that you would just pick out of a basket and they would always update them. And you would get anywhere from like five to 10 comics in the bag. And so I would do it. I would go in there. I'd buy the comics. I'd buy the grab bags. And if I didn't, like the comics or did or the comics weren't the comics that i'd want i'd go stand outside and try to sell the comics for a dollar <laughs> uh to people coming in and out of the store where where I, i'm I've sorry old, where were you, where exactly were you were you grew, growing up where in in 80, 87th between first and second in manhattan and um and so i've always thought that way by the time i was 11 years old i had you know i'd built a, a dog walking business and the beauty of living in New York City is there's high rise buildings everywhere. So I would make these um these these sheets that would say, hey, I'm a dog walker. I'd love to walk your dog. Call, you know, pick take the tab off the bottom and call call the number if you're looking for a dog walker. 
And in all these high rise buildings, I would I would ask the doorman if I can if I can put a few of these down in the laundry room of the building because everybody has to do the laundry. Right. And this is the days when there was not like a lot of people that had washer dryers in their apartment. So everybody would would use the laundry room in these big high rise buildings. And um, I was I had at one point 30 dogs that I was walking. So I would get home from school and I would just walk dog, dog, dog until seven, eight o'clock at night. And my parents were finally like, okay, this is too much. Like, you got to stop. I was making a shit ton of money. I was making 150 bucks a day, five bucks a walk. It was nuts. And so, you know, um, I've just always been that way. I've always wanted to create. I've always wanted um, to do. Was your dad dad an entrepreneur? So my dad was an entrepreneur, unfortunately, not a very successful entrepreneur, um, he had, you know, he was really an electrician, um, but he had built a business in lighting design. So he, uh, like he was never able to put anything real substantial together. Um, you know, his, his, he got sick pretty young, um, and he had to stop working when he was, uh, 42 or 43 and he was on permanent disability and he was at home and my mom was a secretary who actually I think I got a lot of my work ethic really through my mom because my mom was a secretary for the same dentist for a long time and she would leave the house at six o'clock in the morning every day and get home at eight o'clock every night and that she worked her ass off and she supported the whole family and so I think I got a lot of my ethic from watching my mother work you know I don't know 60 70 hours a week week and it really showed it really just rubbed off on me that like if you you know if you've got to support a family you've got to put in the work and and she did and uh we didn't have unfortunately a lot but you know she really taught me that 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 working hard is absolutely necessary did did seeing your dad at age 42 dealing with a, a permanent disability situation that must have that must have been a powerful thing for you to witness I mean, that's your own dad and 42 is pretty young. So it must, I mean, that, that's a very substantial image and uh, thing in your mind. The idea of, of, you know, 42, not an old man, but he's, his life's been changed. I'm just wondering what, what that was like for you to experience and what, what might've been the, the might've been a special impact from that experience. Well, you know, I had a really, really, really rough relationship with my father. My father and I never, ever saw eye to eye. Um, when my dad got really sick, he had he was a juvenile diabetic and he had a severe heart disease and uh, and it impacted everything in his life, you know. Um, and back then, as a juvenile diabetic, there was not much research or information not nearly as much as there is today there's lots of stuff lots of research and and um and and there's lots of treatments today for diabetics but then you know it was pretty intense and diabetes is a pretty nasty autoimmune disease but you know i think that because my dad was sick he was angry and you know some people are meant to be parents and some people are not my dad was not meant to be a father even though I love him and I know that he, he probably did his best. He really didn't make time for his children and he was very aggressive and abusive. And so I was young when my dad got sick I, and I always just 
thought of him as a guy that was like kind of sick, you know, that was home a lot, that didn't really pay much attention to me. And when he did pay attention to me, it was typically in the form of violence and um, verbal abuse. And so we had a really rough go. And that forced me to leave my parents' house at 15. Um, and so, you know, I don't, I wouldn't change it for anything. Um, I would, I don't regret a single moment of it. Um, I think moving out of my parents' house at 15 years old and, uh, finding my way around New York city and, and being a crazy kid. I mean, I was definitely a crazy kid. There's no doubt I was, and, and, and way before 15, I mean, I started really getting into the bad news and, and, and running the streets of New York when I was like 12. I was in like limelight and tunnel, you know, at a very young age. Um, and, um, and, and so, you know, I was exposed to an enormous amount. But the beauty of it all is that it was in the epicenter of culture. I was always the youngest. And because I was always the youngest, I got a lot of attention because I was mature for my age. And so I was able to really experience what a lot of 18 to 25 year olds were experiencing at like 13 to 17. You know, I mean, I was, I was doing, um, you know, I was working, I was working, I got my first real job when I was 12, going on 13 at a restaurant. That was when I first started working in restaurants as a first started as a delivery boy, then they put me in the kitchen as a prep cook and a dishwasher. And then I worked my way into the front as a bus boy. And, and I and I always had jobs in restaurants or nightclubs. Um, and I and I still went to school, I graduated high school, I did a year and a half of college until I realized that college wasn't for me. And I really wanted to build a biz, you know, build a career in the world of hospitality, because the nightlife was my passion. And people are really my passion. I, I, I love human beings. And I love connecting with human beings. And the the engagement between two people or a group of people is unlike any other uh, style of engagement, you know, I mean, we've all kind of grown accustomed to this digital connectivity. However, experience is something we crave as human beings, you know, and um, being able to, to be an, uh, an entrepreneur in a business where experience is everything. You know, people ask me what I do for a living, you know, and my answer kind of cheeky answer is I'm a memory maker. That's what I believe my job is to do is to make memories. And hopefully the majority of those memories are positive memories, but sometimes you know, sometimes we fuck up, um, and uh, and and that's okay too. Which leads us, which yeah. leads us to a motto on your on your profile, which I absolutely love: uh, fail often, fail fast, learn from your mistakes. I just love that. That's like saying, uh, "Don't don't be cautious. You're gonna make mistakes. You should make mistakes, and probably if you're living right, and uh, you're you if you're not making mistakes, you're not living right." Uh, tell us a little bit about that. I mean, were you always kind of fearless about making mistakes or was that something you just learned from experience? Cause that, that's the hard, probably the hardest life lesson. I think that's really hard for people to, they're, they're so afraid of failure that sometimes they don't really want to take any effort that might expose them to it. Well, you know, I, I, I think that there's a, there was a lot leading up to that sort of philosophy that, that, that I, I lead today um, with this fail off and fail fast philosophy. Um, I failed for a long time, um, 
and and you know i i don't think i don't call it failing but i you know i i would call it learning experiences right like you learn a lot when you fuck up <laughs> and i can i curse on this thing Is yeah i think we're okay all yeah. right i'll, I'll, I'll try yeah, to keep it to a minimum <laughs> sorry i got a bad mouth um but um you know, from the age 13 to 23, I was, I was an absolute recluse. Um, I was a fun guy to be around and I don't, again, like I don't regret any of it, but I, I the decisions that I made on a daily basis were pretty bad. Um, you know, and I was, I always ended up hanging out with some of the wrong folks and getting into a lot of trouble. When I was 23, I was walking down a dark road literally and figuratively and uh i i i really you know I, I at night or in the morning when i was ready to go to bed like i would just sometimes say please just don't wake up like that's where i was at mentally in my life um and uh i i hit a point where i just were, were you I were you um abusing substances in any way were you drinking too much some drugs i mean was it bad lifestyle what where what what was uh, driving all this obviously you had this i mean first of all you left your home at 15 which you, i did not know before uh that's a pretty that's a pretty dramatic move for a 15 year old kid to make because you're you're a kid no matter what you might feel like you're a kid but i'm just curious 23 what what was spinning out of you are you like up all night partying like a maniac like what just Give us just a little. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I was, I was a full-fledged alcoholic and drug addict from the age of thirteen to twenty-three. There was, I, I mean, there was never a moment that I was not either high or drunk or both, or looking to be high or drunk or both or hungover. Um, you know, and I would stay up for days. You know, I was, I, I, I was really just living that that fast and furious nightlife. Um, and so I would sleep all day and work at night and then when i wasn't working at night i was partying and you know i'd like get out of work on a friday at three o'clock in the morning get into a cab take it to you know jfk hop on a jet blue flight down to miami and come to like on the hotel floor you know like i that was sort of the life i was living and um and it got to a point where i was i was on death's door i was you know i i i had made my way through all the party drugs and i ended with you know the really bad stuff and it, uh, it, 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 it almost killed me. And then after it almost killed me, I decided that I wasn't going to do it anymore. And then I found myself right back in the seat that I was in, uh, you know, the night I overdosed. And so I got very lucky, you know, it was a Monday, uh, it was a Monday morning. I have the, the guys that I were with, were with the last three days straight had said, we've had enough or we're, we're calling it. And I, went back into my apartment, uh, looked at myself in the mirror, laughed at myself thinking I was like a useless waste of time and space and energy, and then passed out. And um, I woke up 16 hours later with people banging on my bedroom door because I'd locked the bedroom door. And uh, I'd, I'd, I'd gone to like a couple of um, AA meetings in over the years, you know, just to step in and see what it was like. And then I walked over to an A meeting and I, and I, I got, and that was the, the last day for me and everything's changed. And, um, and the couple of guys that knew me from when I was drinking that were, that were sober were older than me. And I sort of, I didn't even know that they were sober. Um, 
but I looked up to them. They were like cool dudes covered in tattoos, tough guys. And, uh, and they saw me at a meeting and they, um, dragged me to a Muay Thai gym that night. They said, you know, you, you've got to, you've got to not only, you know, be around people that are doing positive things, but you got to get your ass kicked and understand what it means to be disciplined. And the only way to really do that is to get punched in the mouth constantly, um, literally and figuratively again, you know? And so, uh, I wanted to do that. And I've always wanted to be a fit guy when I was really young, I was an athlete, you know, naturally sort of talented athlete. Um, but when I, when I started to get into the drugs and the alcohol, all that shit got pushed to the side. And so when I got into the ring, um, I took to it like, like, you know, white on rice. I, I fell absolutely in love with it. I dedicated, basically the guys were like, look, you're going to wake up in the morning. You are going to pray. You're going to go to an AA meeting. You're going to have a little food. You're going to go straight to the gym. You're going to train for as long as you can. You're going to eat. You're going to take a nap and then you're going to go back to work. And so I was able to work. Um, my, my boss fired me and then he gave me my job back and I was bartending at this great restaurant. So I actually got sober bartending, which is kind of crazy, but I, I was done. I was done. You know, I, I didn't want to do it anymore. Well, all that, and so, I'm sorry. Well, all, well, all that was happening. Your drink went during the drinking period and the, when you're out of control, did you have a sense of what was driving your self-destructive behavior? Was it just I caught being caught up in the excitement of being a, a crazy kid, uh, uh, like the excitement of living on the edge in New York? Or did you actually sense what, what was the deeper cause of the pain you were feeling? You know, I, again, like I think similarly to my drive as an entrepreneur and that spirit that I have from within, I think I was also born with uh, with a personality that really is extreme. And so I guess when I was young and I figured out a way to like numb some of the pain that I was dealing with at home, uh, I just took it, I just took it by the balls and went full, full throttle on it and, and didn't stop. You know, I, I think, I think I, I, if I can, if I could sort of think way back, I mean, so we lived in a very small apartment. It was a one bedroom apartment with an alcove, my mom, my sister, my dad, and I, and my parents turned the dining room alcove into their bedroom. So they had a Murphy bed. The only way to get into the kitchen was through the dining room. So, and the dining room was like the dining room alcove was very small and the Murphy bed took up the whole entire dining room. So I remember as a little kid, like probably like three, four, five, maybe uh, waking up in the middle of the night. I, I loved orange juice and apple juice. I was like hooked on it. And I remember crawling under the Murphy bed and sneaking into the kitchen and grabbing that, you know, container of orange juice or apple juice and sucking it out of the container as hard and as fast as I could and trying to finish the whole thing. Um, I remember that clear as day, uh, the feeling that I was that I got from that. And obviously it was the sugar that that I was like addicted to. But I do believe that I was born with this this uh, this, you know, with this disease that they call it in the in the program of alcoholism. No, this is I don't I don't know how much I I I I believe it's a disease necessarily as it's a mental illness that like tells you you suck and it's something that we're that you're born with and and it's you know the, uh, there's a lot of people that have it. Uh and so alcohol and drugs are the temporary band-aid 
that a lot of people throw on to this mental illness that is sort of coined alcoholism or an alcoholic. But really, it's deeper than that. It's, uh, it's, it's, you know, it's probably a genetic thing. And so I, I have it. Um, but I've been lucky, I've been able to stay away from it and stay sober for the last 16 plus years. Um, but getting back to the fail off and fail fast, when I got into the to the practice of Muay Thai and, and the discipline of martial arts, um, I, I literally got my ass kicked all the time. And I had this, this like desire and this, um, this real determination to not quit ever. So if I got kicked in the face, like I'd hit the de- I'd hit the mat and I'd pop right back up. And I just never allowed it to stop me from, from, from trying to get better. And, uh, and that taught me an enormous amount about life. It, an, an enormous amount, it, it allowed me to pour the foundation and structure of what, I, what, I, what my life is today. Cause I would just get in there and I would just go. And I just was not, I was, I was fucking scared. There's no doubt about it. But like, I just did not let my fear stop me from trying to, to get better. And it it really set me up for success. Um, And I did that intensely for 10 straight years, training five, six days a week, three hours a day. Um, And, you know, and, and it was awesome. (laughs) It was awesome. And it taught me that like, if you're not failing, chances are you're not trying hard enough. And the faster you fail, the faster you learn, the faster you learn, the more time you have to get better. Yeah, man, that is, that's, that's a lot right there, man. I mean, from AA to to Muay Thai and and just setting that foundation. um, I mean, 10 years straight is truly like dedication. And like you said, if you're doing five, six days a week, um, I maybe did that for like two years, you know, when I was training really hard, uh, you know, the five, six days, you know, after work, I would go with uh, my buddy, Matt, uh, hit like the six, seven o'clock classes. If we could stay, stay for a little bit more, but whenever you're, you're really like in that grind and then you have that foundation, you take that step up. Um, you're kind of able to see a little bit different and, you know, now you have, yourself kind of set up on, you know, off the building blocks of your own success. And when you kind of reevaluate your life and you kind of look at everything that's happened, how are you kind of uh, applying that to your own family? Because, you know, you said your relationship with your father uh, was really rough. Um, and now you've dedicated yourself to being a father. How does, how does that look like? Like, are those 10 years of dedication to your family? Um, kind of seems like the switch up is is going there. You know, what, what's that look like for for healthy family relationships, healthy communication, and kind of just flourishing uh, being a dad? Well, you know, I think if somebody would would take a snapshot of my life or like a like a video of my life from the day one to you know to now, most people would probably say the chances of me being a loving, caring husband and father are slim based on my experience as a, a child that, that, that dealt with an enormous amount of trauma as a kid. I've used that experience. And, and also to be fair, I've always really been like a loving, caring person. You know, um, I, I believe that I was put on this planet um, to be of service to others and to help other people feel good like that. That makes me feel really good when others feel good. Hence 
the hospitality business. I have no problem and really truly appreciate and enjoy bending over backwards to make other people smile. And so I've always had that as part of my DNA. Um, but I, I, I feel like I got very lucky that I was, I'd left my, my family's house at 15 because I endured a lot of it, but I could, it could have, could have gone on a lot longer. And, um, and so I was able to escape it at a, at a, at a, you know, semi young age. Um, I made it my, my mission to love my wife. I met my wife six months after I got sober. My wife and I have been together for a long time, 15 years, you know? Um, and, uh, I, I have no desire to be a negative, aggressive, angry, miserable person. We have a choice, you know, we really do. Like, it's not hard to break the chain. It's only hard if you tell yourself it's hard, you know, like a lot of people start to believe their thoughts. You don't have to believe your thoughts. You know, when, you know, your, your thoughts are really, um, like we have zero control over our first thought on a topic, right? It just poof comes out of nowhere. We can fucking believe it. We can react to that first thought or we can train ourselves to be responsive in life. So that first thought pops up. We let it sit there for a minute, open up the window, let some air breeze in, appreciate it, and then we respond. And, you know, like you react in like, you know, if a grenade's getting thrown at you, you fucking run as fast as you can. But in most every other case and situation in life, we have an opportunity to respond. And I think that's what separates the good from the great. The, the, the ability to respond to life as life, as life comes our way. Uh, we have control over very, very little, like tiny control you know the ability to control things are, are, are very very limited so another philosophy that i really stick to is this idea of control the controllables because if you can't control the controllables let's just use a in business you're out of business right like if you spend too much money you pay too much rent you, you know like you're done it's just it's that simple cut and dry there's no like and so if you apply that to your life, you know, and, and your family, you know, like if you can't, if you bring your work home with you, um, chances are you're not going to have the greatest family life, right? And that's not to say that work isn't going to be insane and stressful and, you know, anxiety, you know, provoking. But if you drive home from work and you stop in the driveway and you close your eyes and you just take a deep breath and you say, okay, Work is work. I'm going to take a deep breath now. I'm going to let fucking work like sort of brush off my back and shoulders. I'm going to smile and I'm going to walk into my house as the husband and father I want to be. You can do that shit. I do it. You know, I got to say, it. I do that. I, I got to say, Michael, what yeah. you just said uh, really resonated with me quite a bit because I think, um, that's kind of the essence of uh, meditation. Uh, the, the, I've been doing meditation that Adam kind of pushed me in the direction of when we first uh, started talking a year ago. And I, um, the, the idea of stopping for a moment, that first thought coming into your head, not being, that's just a thought that's passing through your head. You can react to it or not react to it, but it's not, 
it's not really always going to be to your benefit to react to it. And taking that, that moment and actually seeing what's going on and living and being mindful, that's really what mindfulness is. What, you know, it, are you going to react and lash out? Um, or are you going to understand the nature of that, that feeling, that experience that you've just had and, and put it in perspective and that image of you sitting outside before you take your work into your home, I think that that's really a powerful one because I think that's true just about everything that we do. We bring so much baggage to every single interaction that we have each day of our lives. And we don't even realize in a way that sometimes we are just reacting and spinning out of just a lot of negativity that's just been accumulating. And before you know it, you don't even know which direction you're going. And I just, your, your uh, focus to just will just say, I'm, I'm going to have a successful, loving relationship with my wife, and that's going to be a priority. And the priority is the thing that I'm going to control. I'm going to control that priority. I'm very, 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 very lucky that I have. I mean, I have a truly wonderful relationship with my wife. You know, it's, it's, it is, you know, she's my best friend. I love spending time with her more than anyone. We've been together a long time. I mean, for me, I mean, I'm, I'm 39. And so we've been together 15 years. It's almost half my life, right? A little less than half my life. We've been together and we met, she was 22, I was 24. And we still love every fucking minute together. And, you know, we're not like having sex like we were in the early days, you know what I mean? <laughs> but like, I think that's the reality of, of what, what a long-term relationship is too, right? You go up and down and there's times where you guys are just on it. And there's other times where it's just like, oh shit, we gotta, we gotta get back on that wagon. Um, but well, congrats you know, for being the uh, first to actually confess that on our show, because that's like the yeah. great mystery. I always want to ask people, oh, I'm sitting with them like, no fucking mystery. Yeah, how much sex do there's you no have? Mystery. There's no mystery. There's no mystery. There's no mystery. <laughs> <laughs> Like anybody who, tells children. You, anybody who tells you that, you know, that they've been together with their significant other for, you know, north of 10 years and there's potentially children in the mix that are having sex every day are honestly lying to you. They're fucking lying unless they're superhuman. Um, okay. But, that is totally brilliant. Know. Thank you for that one. I, I need, I had some notes from when we first talked and I just want to review just a couple of things you talked uh, you know, I, I looked at your feed and I made that comment and joke with you like, oh, dude, you're like Superman. I'm like, like, how the hell did you get to where you're at? You're like Mr. Bodybuilder. You're winning competitions. 39 years old. You just won a, a, a bodybuilding competition. I'm intimidated as fuck looking through your feed. And then you say to me, you know, Albert, this there's just good habits that went into this. Could you just tell us a couple of good for the, the takeaway from the from this? I would love to you to give us just a couple of good habits. What are these good habits you told me, or or the ones that really can build this this foundation for anybody? Yeah, I mean, look, I, I'm so I'm launching a business called Creatures of Habit. Um, I believe that our habits define who we are, uh, who we hang out with, um, who we are not. Uh, I think everything in life that sort of in our bubble of life in our own bubble of life really are determined based on our daily choices, decisions and habits. And so I've developed a, a slew of habits over the years that have helped me to stay positive. One of the one of the one of the questions that's asked of me all the time is how do you stay motivated? How do you stay positive? Um, I wake up every single morning very early. 
I wake up at, at somewhere between 5.15 and 5.30. I don't have an alarm. It's just when I wake up. Um, and the first thing I do when I open my eyes is I smile. It's the first thing I do every single day. And I hold it for 15 seconds and I count. And I, and I honestly, I can't help but chuckle at myself. So I laugh. I can, like, I'm laughing inside when, it's, when I'm doing it because I know that anybody seeing me do that would be like, what the fuck is going on with that guy? Um, but I do that. And what that does is that gives me... A- an opportunity to start my day from the second I open my eyes, I'm starting my day with a positive outlook and an optimistic mindset. And I can honestly feel positivity wash over my body in the morning when I do that. Um, and, you know, it's hard to hate when you're smiling. It just is. And so smiling is a huge part of my day. A lot of, like I have another technique that I call the stop smile. And the stop smile is something that I apply. I could apply it 10 times throughout the day more if I have to. But as stress becomes prevalent and there's anxiety, as we all have throughout the day in certain circumstances, I, I, do, I do something called the stop smile, which is I stop what I'm doing. I sit back. I close my eyes. I take a deep breath. I smile. And I sit and I smile. And so the S for stop smile is smile. The T is transition. So I am actually training my mind to transition from this stressful, anxious place and appreciate the fact that I am taking action to get out of this place. So I smile, positive. Transition, then I observe the transition happening. Literally, I've trained my mind to transition from negative to positive with a smile. I observe that shit happening. I can feel it. I take another breath and then I proceed. And sometimes I'll sit for five minutes and really stay in that moment. Sometimes I'll do it in 30 seconds. But we can change our day 10 times a day if we have to, if we're in really stressful situations. So the stop smile has been very, very helpful for me. It's something that I've developed um, a little while ago and it's really, really worked. Um, Will that be part of this uh, new project that you you've been uh, talking about your new business your creatures of habit yeah 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 the, the there's a number of different habits that i've i've applied that are little tips and tricks like that that can sort of get you through i'm, a I'm using that one day. dude stop and smile is a good one that's yeah. that's killer it really works <laughs> and um you know and then there's there's also the sort of routine, the daily morning routine that is very structured for me. And it feels um, natural because I've been doing it for so long, but it's very structured. And, and I basically wake up, I smile, I go into the bathroom, I brush my teeth, I put water on my face, I drop down on my knees, I say a little prayer, I'm not religious, spiritual guy. But I I say a little prayer to the universe and I ask the universe to help me to be of service and to help me get through the day and not to be egotistical and self-centered and self-seeking. And so I get humble like right away. Um, And then I open up my dog's cage. I take my dog downstairs. We go for a little walk. Uh, At this point, it's about six o'clock in the morning. Um, I drink a pre-workout shake and I go right into the gym and train. Um, And I train for about an hour and a half. Uh, Because training is such a big part of my life. And all those things that I just listed are little tiny wins. They're all little accomplishments. 
that I get done by 7 30 8 o'clock in the morning I'm like I'm a fucking winner I'm like I'm winning in life by doing those things that list of things um I'm I'm winning and uh and then by the time I get out of the gym, my wife and kids are sitting, uh, having breakfast and I sit down with them. Um, and I give my, give everybody a hug and a kiss. And sometimes I take my, my boys to school. Sometimes my wife takes them and then I start my day. Um, and you know, throughout the day, I, you know, I, I, I have a, a, a pretty strict regimen in eating. I mean, my nutritional regimen is very, uh, very structured. Um, but like, I, I really believe that structure and discipline equal freedom, because if you can, if you have these, this structure, you can make decisions comfortably because a lot of the uncertainty has, has been experienced already. You know, like I know that in order for me to be a great husband, a great father, a great business owner, a business partner, an employer, uh, 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 you know, a son, a brother, like in order to be great at those things, I have to feel well inside. I have to love myself. I have to. It's really, really hard to share love, true, honest love, if you fucking hate yourself or you're even on the fence of hating yourself. And so I put a lot of energy into self-love and self-care first as the first thing I do throughout, you know, in my day so that I can be of service to my family and friends and business. Um, and actually... If I'm being honest, fitness, nutrition, and wellness, mindfulness is my number one priority before my family, before my business, before anything, because I know that when I take care of myself, I'm just a better human. And so being a better human allows me to have a greater relationship with the people around me. And so it's selfish in some ways because it really does make me feel good, but it's selfless in other ways because I do it to be a better really husband and dad. So, Michael, you talked a lot about, um, you know, the, the balance that you have between, you know, yourself and your family and making sure that you honor both sides of that, um, which is amazing. And you said you've been doing it for so long that it's just so natural to you. What, what would you say to someone who is, you know, starting day one, you know, that first day in the ring, you got uh, a little smashed up, but there's a lot of, you know, quitting after the first day or realizing you know, hey, I have to climb this entire staircase and, you know, just one step is, is so hard for me. Um, you know, what, what does, you know, wellness and mindfulness and your philosophies, how does that play into that moment? And what kind of self-talk would you recommend, you know, for someone in that position? I, this, is a, this is a bit of a tough one for me because I don't have, I'm like an, an incredibly empathic guy. I really am in many, in many ways. But the one area where I kind of struggle is when people say they can't because I know that's bullshit because they can, they can absolutely 100%. It doesn't matter who you are, where you're from, what you look like, size, shape, color. Um, you know, there is, there you you can and will be able to figure out how to get what you want the other thing is is that you know um being well is not for people who need it or people who want it it's for people who do it and i believe in my heart of hearts that everybody is able to do it right 
the the discipline is what has given me this amazing life the, the ability to commit has given me the opportunity to like really feel confident um and of, i have you know like i'm a human being of course i have insecurities and and doubt myself and you know many ways um but I do know that I have a, I have the ability to just do. And I would say to anybody who's trying to get going and, and, and being their best, a version of their best self, don't believe your fucking voices telling you, you suck. Um, if, if there was, if there was a, if there was somebody sitting next to you telling you similar things to your ego whispering in your ear that you can't do it, you probably wouldn't want to hang out with that person that was sitting next to you. You like wouldn't go out for dinner with that person. So don't go out for dinner with the voice in your head telling you, you, you can't do it. Um, you got to do it. You got to do it. I, 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 I post a lot, you know, because <laughs> this is a question that I get asked. I get asked often, you know, how do you? And my answer is I just do. If you want something, the only way to have it is to do it period. And we are the only thing that stands in the way of our goals. There's only one person, place, or thing that can stand in the way. The one hurdle. It's in between our two ears. It's ourselves. We cannot walk through life playing the, the blame game um, because it's not going to get us anywhere. Walking through life with resentment is only actually hurting ourselves, right? Like the people that we're resentful towards probably have no idea that we're resentful towards them. And even if they do, they don't really care. They're probably not thinking about you. Um, and so getting, you know, my, 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 my answer to that question, long-winded answer to that question is if you are battling to take a step in a direction you really want to take, throw down your guard against yourself and fail go out and fail and then get back up and go out and fail and get back up and failing is going to become part of you and you'll learn to love and love and appreciate it you know i i i feel like we've got to learn to love the heart and the hurt it's necessary you got to learn to love and embrace the heart and the hurt because there's not enough um there's not enough victory to um not have not learn to love the heart and the hurt it takes it takes a lot of heart and the hurt to get there just about everything you just said was just like one beautiful riff of very quotable inspirational shit that you just said let me tell you i loved every word of it but i really think that the the broader message of what you said is something that america is going through as a culture right now the blame culture is at an all-time high no one wants to see it in themselves they don't want to actually see what, how they are completely uh, distorting reality even to find blame in other people. Everybody else is to blame. And it's really just a shitty attitude as it's responsible for the state that our culture is in of rejecting listening to each other, rejecting taking personal responsibility. Um, I just, I would love to take your I would love your, your voice that you just gave us and what you just said to really reach out to a broad number of people in our country because I think we need 
we need uh, to understand the blame game has to stop. Uh, the blame game has to stop. And we have to, uh, we have to not be afraid to confront the truth and not be afraid in a way to sort of admit to our own failures as a country. We're going to heal if we don't actually admit to the ways that we've fallen down on our own ideals and goals. So I just want to just get on that little public soapbox before the election and just say that. I want to just go back also to one more thing, uh, a post of yours that I wrote down that I really just liked and it made me chuckle. You said, um, I guess back on September 17th, the trick uh, is to lead with positivity doesn't mean it's not going to be hard, sometimes brutal. But if you have fun with whatever it is in front of you and not take yourself too seriously, there is always a win to be had. I totally love that. The idea that there's a win in everything. There's a win in failure. There's a win in setback. There's always the opportunity for a win. Actually, so long as there's another person to reach out to, slap on the back and tell them you love them, there's a win to be had all around us. So I love the message of that. And I just wanted to thank you for sharing that. Adam, we, we've held this man for an hour. What do you think? My big takeaways from, from this episode is you can't blame anyone else but yourself. And all of the, the wellness, all of the, the mindset work really comes into how vulnerable you are with yourself and how, how that can you know, be with your relationship to failure. Because if you have a good relationship with failure, you have a great relationship with success. So being able to, to honestly look at yourself like Michael did in the mirror, and then what went to his, his first meeting and then the next 16 years of his life made it, um, you know, that, that all can start and that can all be everyone. So the time you say, I'm not, I'm no longer a victim. I'm no longer playing the game and I'm going to be responsible for myself. That, that's your first day of winning. So I, I really appreciate everything that you told us here, Michael. Um, it's been an awesome conversation. You're, you're really kicking ass and taking names. So I love it. Um, any last words to, to wrap up this episode? Um, you know, I would just say if I were to leave you guys or leave the listeners with anything, one piece of advice that I think is uh, has been instrumental in my life and um, ask for help. That's it. There's, you know, our ego is not our amigo and um, a lot of people don't ask for help uh, when, when they should. And no one should feel less than or insecure or, uh, you know, um, inferior by asking for help. Help is everything. Help is everything. And so, you know, I ask for help in every opportunity I, I can. And I think that that, that simple three words ask for help you know when in doubt just ask for help you know chances are there's 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 uh there's a lot to be learned in, in that practice you also empower others and appreciate others when you reach out to them for help yeah well that is a, a great way to to wrap this up here so we are we're asking for help we're we're being all here together we're being vulnerable and uh just want to thank all of you guys this has been another episode of the Veer Vulnerabilis Veer podcast. I'm Adam Glinsky. I'm Albert Imperato. And I'm Michael Chernow. Thanks for listening. <laughs> <laughs>